0: This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR.
1: Good teams don't blow 16-point leads anywhere, let alone at home. We talked about this on the postgame show last night. I don't blame you if you didn't stay up till 2. But up until last night... The Steelers had never blown a 16-point lead at home in the history of the franchise. 1933. That had never happened before last night. Good teams don't blow those leads. Good teams don't allow 23 unanswered points. Good teams step up and make a play when a play has to be made. And they did not at any point in the second half. We can't have the discussion without talking about the officiating. It was awful. No one's going to deny that. I wouldn't be surprised if it hasn't happened already. That at some point today or tomorrow, Wednesday, Tomlin or Kevin Colbert or Art Rooney or all three will get a call from the league like they do and say, we're sorry. You know what they are. I mean, Ramon Foster and Alejandro Villanueva swore they didn't hold. Tomlin felt the same way, although oftentimes the sideline is a diverse view in the house. but. You didn't have to be Ed Hockley to see the offensive tackle on the false start. You didn't have to be Vince Lombardi or Tom Landry or Chuck Knoll to see an obvious block in the back on the punt return. No question about that. As far as whether they were offside in the field goal attempts, to me, The stuff that happened before that is significantly more important than what happened on that field goal attempt. So we'll acknowledge that. There's no disputing that it was awful and heads ought to roll. You can't miss that. You can't miss that amount. But when you're playing in a game, bad stuff happens to you, blank happens, and you've got to move on from there. As difficult as that is, no qu- no one's denying that. But you've got to move on. And even with the false start that made it 13-7, they still come came back from that and made it 23-7. to But what they didn't do is take advantage of opportunities. For example, I think that the missed extra point by Boswell, and he's becoming a concern. I made a note, this guy's going to cost them a big game. Well, you know what? He already cost them in the Cleveland game, the first Cleveland game. And I honestly believe that his missed extra point changed the dynamic in the game. Why? Why? Because if he makes the extra point, and that's five now, I don't know if that leads the league, but I got to believe it's up there, then the Chargers have no reason to go for two. In other words, if the Steelers are up at that point, 24 to seven, they go for the one. It's 24 14. And they score again. They're going for one to make it 24-21. Now, maybe they go ahead and score anyway and win the game anyway. But it changed the dynamic of the game. Just that missed extra point. The Ben interception. That cost him a possibility. Possibility. He picked it off at the 8. They were at the 22, as I recall. Now, there's no guarantee the way Boswell's kicking, although he did have a 48-yarder, but that cost him three points. And we're going to get to that in the next segment. Ben is getting way too sloppy with the football. How many interceptions now in the last three weeks? Way too careless and cavalier with the football. Here's what really strikes me. In the first half, the San Diego Chargers ran the ball nine times and gained two yards. And a lot of that was against the Steelers playing in their pass sub-package with only two defensive linemen. Extra linebackers, extra defensive back, and they were still stuffing them. In the second half, the Chargers ran 13 times for 83 yards. How does that happen? Nine carries for two yards in the first half, 83 yards on 13 carries, nearly six and a half per carry in the second half. Was it merely a matter of execution? I don't think so. And here's where I get to that quote that bothered me. After the game, head coach Anthony Lynn of the Chargers, instead of giving coach speak, was asked about, well, what changed in the second half? You're down 23-7, Steelers had all the momentum. He said, well, he said, we weren't running the ball well at all in the first half, and we were having trouble with their pressure, so we made some adjustments. As any team would. Things aren't going well, you make adjustments. My question is... Where were the Steelers' adjustments to the Chargers' adjustments? Was it merely a matter of the Charger offensive line blocking better or the Steelers' defensive unit not playing as well? Or were there strategical issues involved? When I posted, that's one of the quotes that bothered me, the Chargers made adjustments. Things weren't going well. They're down 23-7 to 7 and... The Steelers get the kickoff to start the second half. And actually, even though they didn't score in that first drive, I thought, it's okay. They ate up five minutes o'clock. And then they allowed the eight-minute touchdown drive, but still, it's 23-15. When it came time to make a play, there weren't any. Yeah, the Steelers came back to tie the game at 30-all. But up until that point, the offense had done nothing. Three, three and out, three and out, three and out. When does somebody make a play? And I realize, yes, the Chargers got a huge break on what would have been an interception by Joe Hayden. They got a lucky bounce. They got some officials' calls. But still... The Steelers had a chance to make plays to win the football game. And they didn't make any. Defensively, they didn't make any. Do you realize the Chargers did not punt at all in the second half of that game? Not once? And when they came back to tie the game at 30-all, how about a stop? How about giving Ben and company a chance to win the game late? As the Chargers did not even close so yeah the officiating was a factor no one's denying that and the Chargers got some bounces but the Steelers still with just one defensive stop had a chance to win that game and let's not kid ourselves they've lost two in a row But they've played horse crap football three weeks in a row because they shouldn't have gotten out of Jacksonville with a win. Ski in North for Sales joins us. Hi, Ski.
2: Hey, Stan. Thanks for taking my call. Merry Christmas to you.
1: Thank you. You as well.
2: Thank you very much. Uh, Yeah, I was disappointed with the officiating. But you take away those three touchdowns, okay? They got a lucky bounce, granted, in the end zone. But, uh, you know, flagrant things like that shouldn't happen in the NFL. And they should uh, do something about it. And I'm sure they will, but uh, too little, too late. And uh, really, Rivers wasn't uh, that outstanding. Okay, he was dinking it over to middle to uh, Allen, which is fine. That's what Pittsburgh was giving them. They had a linebacker on him. They could do that all day, and they did it all day. Okay, the offense I thought did just fine. You don't score 30 points and expect to lose, but it happens. And if you take away those three touchdowns, they, they go away laughing.
1: So no, I, no, I, no doubt it's a factor. But even with that, they did rebound from yep. the false start, 13 to seven. And made it twenty-three to seven, and the game was theirs, especially getting the kickoff in the second half.
2: But now they were they were putting Crusher on the guy, but the thing is, he's a quick release guy, okay, and that really hurt them. And as for the running, I think Pittsburgh was waiting for him to pass since they were behind, and that just opens up the run lanes for them.
1: Well, all, I, maybe so. But that doesn't give full credit to what Anthony Lynn was saying, that they made adjustments in their running game. I have no idea what those were, but he did make adjustments. My question is, the game's all about adjustments. They adjust, you adjust to their adjustments, and so on and so forth. Was there any of that, or was it merely a matter of the Steelers not playing all of a sudden as well, and the Chargers playing that much better?
2: Well, I think they just went uh, to the run to get uh, the Steelers off guard because they're figuring, hey, they're behind. They're going to be passing.
1: Well, then you, have to, then you have to make an adjustment to that, don't you?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I guess they didn't, but it, it was on the defense. Uh, the offense, I thought, did well.
1: Although the you know, offense could have taken charge by making a play during the third quarter not waiting till there's three, four minutes left to score. Yeah, I
2: was, I was, I was disappointed in the loss, but you got to look at it uh, realistically. That you can't always blame the refs, you know. Even though it was so, they were a
1: factor, but there were other elements. They could have overcome that, and in some cases, uh, during the game, they did. Thank you, Ski. I appreciate the call. Thanks very much. Uh, Some individuals um, need to be addressed here. And we will do that. We're going to take more of your phone calls, 412-922-2874, pound 970. If you're waiting on the line, I will get to you next. Touch will join us at 1240. Mike lying at 1. At 120, we're going to lay out where the Steelers stand now and their chance to make the playoffs, although I'll tell you right now, even if they do make it, which is all of a sudden a question, where are they going? Arrow's supposed to be pointing up, and it's pointed directly down. It's Saverin on Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Chargers, a lot of folks up at the line of scrimmage and gets the shotgun snap. He's back. He throws a pass and it is intercepted running up the field, the left sideline. And that is... Derwin James, he's still on his feet. He's up over the 40, the 45, but he got a marker down on the play. Let's see why. Football. <laughs> it's football. No harder to swallow than the No. One. No, it's, it's, I mean, it stinks. You hate, I hate losing at home. You know, I hate it for our fans. I hate you know losing it for my linemen and, and the rest of these guys. But uh, we'll come in tomorrow, we'll look at it, and we'll move on. Well, there's not much more time to be uh, looking at things. Pretty stark. That of course, it's Ben. He said that on that interception, the ball slipped out of his hands. That happens. But look at the last three weeks and how many interceptions. He's becoming very careless with the football. I mean, You cannot ignore it. You cannot. And again, the way Boswell's been kicking, who knows what happens. But you're near the red zone at that point. Uh, and a made field goal. And maybe the game's played out differently, but what was the final margin? I mean, there are so many other things. Again, again, ad nauseum, again, they lose the turnover battle. Now, a block punt is, a, is considered a turnover. But I'm talking about defensive turnover, again, zero, 12 in 12 games. Minus one, in the turnover battle leaves from scrimmage, and even when they got the Chargers behind the chain, seven and second and fourteen, second and fifteen, they end up making the first down. Chargers in the first half were two for six third down conversions. They ended up six for ten. By my math. That's four for four in the second half. I told you about the run totals. Sean Davis is terrible. Now, he may be a better free safety than he was a strong safety, but that doesn't make him a good free safety. All those passes over the middle, that's what a free safety does. He's a center fielder. He's roaming in there. Not freelancing. He's got an assignment. But get your damn hands on the ball once. Think you had one pass defensed. The outside linebacking play. Charlie Batchpoint is out last night. Of all the outside linebackers, they had one quarterback hit. That was Watt. Isn't that where the rush is supposed to be coming from? And it's little plays like, this is early in the game. Game didn't hinge on this, but it just it's indicative to me. Steelers had a third and six second quarter. So Vance McDonald is the targeted receiver. He runs a five-yard pattern. He catches the ball, but he's a yard short. So they have to punt on 4th and 1 from their own territory. What are you doing? Those are the kinds of things that get you beat. Not just the big things, and yeah, the officiating. 412-922-2874, pound 970. Thomas in Los Angeles. Hi, Thomas. How are you doing, Stan? Okay. <laughs>
3: Let me let me just vent for
1: half a minute here. Uh, um,
3: first of all, my initial thoughts are I think the Steelers are going to finish 8-7-1 and 1 this season. I, I'm i going to the game next week in open. I'm in Los Angeles, so I'm going to take the short flight up and deal with all the cursing and trash thrown at me and all that other stuff from the Raider Nation. But they haven't won it since 95. And... I don't feel good about this game. I, I, I think they're in a terrible spot right now. Like we said, they're lucky they haven't lost three straight games. Um, some of the things I want to point out, as you've already pointed out, the Steelers have made, a, made some burns and Davis are a mistake draft picks. Davis can't make any plays from the safety spot. Derwin James, whatever his name is for San Diego, is a rookie. He has four interceptions and a forced fumble this year alone as a rookie. Davis has none of those such stats. Yep. Chicago has a safety that's made five picks, forced two fumbles in one season. I mean, I have direct TV and I look at all the games and every time I turn the station stand, some defense is causing a turnover. Everybody causes turnovers except for the Steelers. When crunch time, the Steelers have a top-ranked defense, supposedly top 10. But when they need to make a play where they need a sack, a strip fumble, a batted ball, a tackle for a loss, they can't do it.
1: No, that's right. Ben,
3: ben, ben calling out his play, players. He missed Hunter by 20 yards. Hunt, it was so wide open that Hunter put him warp, warp speed, mm-hmm. dove, and still was out thrown by three yards. Then Ben has another red zone interception. His fifth of the season. Stand eight seven and one. That's I, that's my prediction.
1: Thank all right, you. all right, Tom. Hopefully, uh, they'll, the 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 one win that they have remaining will be uh, in front of your very eyes. Um, uh, I suppose the good news is is that the, the Bengals have quit on the season, so there's there's always that. Thank you, Thomas. Let's go to Dave in Bethel Park. Hi, Dave.
4: Hey, how you doing, Stan? Hi, hey, thanks. Ultimately, it it relies on the leadership in the different areas. We're talking Butler. We're talking a special teams coach. The blame ultimately lies on them for the personnel, for making the the changes, the the halftime changes, and they're not being done. And it's not only this game. It's been multiple games this season.
1: I agree. And let me just add one thing uh, about the special teams. Uh, The punt return, yeah. No question Brian Allen was blocked in the back, and they you know they call it every play. But one of the things that bothers me about that is that there were also missed tackles on the play. Darius Hayward Bay was the first man down and he missed the tackle. Whatever happened to Brian Allen, what what good is Darius Hayward Bay, supposed to be the special teams ace? Not that he's perfect. And the other thing that bothers me greatly about the special teams is not only the punt return, which, you know, probably cost him the game. But on three punt returns, there were three penalties. Rosie Nix, Brian Allen, LJ Fort. The, you know, what, whatever yardage switcher seems to gain, there's always a holding or a blocking in the back, uh, you know, uh, repeatedly. That bothers me as much as the punt return.
4: Hey, Stan, Stan, one more thing. You've been talking to Bud Barry. He, he has been an inconsistent, okay? Now, granted, that was a penalty, but that was another line drive kick, okay? If it wasn't another muffed kick by this guy. He has been inconsistent at best this season.
1: No doubt. I thought, actually, you know, he had a 63-yarder. He You know, he pins uh, them down to 12. Um, and, and you're right about the hang time on that. I don't know what it was. But by the same token, Darius hayward Bay is right there to make a tackle and misses it. I don't care how high the punt is, uh, unless you're thinking about forcing a fair catch every time. Um, But I'm not a Barry fan. Um, I think, uh, again, he falls into that category of um, he's the best that they have, but not championship quality. And one last
4: thing, Hayden. Why didn't they put Hayden on Alex in the second half?
1: Actually, you know, they did to a degree. What I'll tell you, what they ended up doing, they began flip flopping. Hayden, uh, he was playing. He and Sensabaugh did flip flop sides. Whether that was to get him one on one on Allen, I, I don't know. But they did. That is one adjustment they made. They did move Hayden from his normal side to the other side.
4: I mean, they could have double double up on him. I mean, he's he was the go to guy all night.
1: No question. No yeah. question, they caught a bad break when Hayden got hurt on that collision in the end zone. They had to put Artie Burns in uh, at corner, and of course, he immediately gets beat by a 38-year-old tight end for the two-point conversion. Oh,
4: incidentally, that was Davis's only good hit for the night. Was on right. own player. Was on. You know, jo- right? Was
1: on Joe Hayden. That's right. I mean, he's just you know hits aside, he's got to get it. That's what free safeties are supposed to do. You got to get your hands on the football.
4: He's two three steps behind all the time no doubt oh yeah hopefully better better luck next week Stan. and i don't look i think another loss maybe next week again
1: yeah. well I, I i don't think that the, i don't think they'll lose to oakland but the, the at the at minimum they're going to the one thing you hope for we're going to get to that at 120 is that baltimore has to go to kansas city next week so you could restore a game and a half lead which you know would probably put you in a position where the, i think they're going to have to win 3 out of 4 um you know to win the division and baltimore baltimore still has to go to play the chargers also so um but you know that's by default the question is not winning the division the question is where are you going to be in the playoffs And right now um if they make it they're a one and done i agree thanks dave okay thanks all right take care let's go to scott in maryland hi scott
5: Hey, Stan, thanks for taking my call. Certainly. Listen, uh, um, to go back again, I know you've already talked a lot about the missed penalty calls last night. I I have a suggestion, and I want to get your feelings on it as to how the league can fix this. Um, And I don't know if something like this has been explored before or not, because it could potentially prolong the game a little bit, but I think the end result uh, would would be a, a decent solution. The bottom line is this. The fans want to see a game on a level playing field. Hopefully the players, the coaches and the owners do also. And certainly I would I would hope that the league executives would want to see a fair game called. Now here's a suggestion I have. Has the league ever thought about giving coaches a certain amount of challenges where you could where you could challenge a penalty that was called or not called? And I'm not suggesting an unlimited number of challenges given to a coach, and I'm not even suggesting three that are currently given the coaches to challenge certain plays during a game. Yeah. Make it one. Make it two penalty challenges. And it, will, it may prolong the game a little bit, but the bottom line is it might enable to referees to get the game called right. And I'm going to give an example.
1: Well, I, let me just say that it has been considered, um, and it has been roundly rejected because I think that they – uh, they believe that most fans don't want added replay. Um, and you know where would you uh, I mean, what about pass interference? I mean, would it be for any penalty? Um, uh, maybe well, get, maybe yeah, there's yeah. maybe there's a case where like let's say for example, uh, in the final two minutes when the league takes over on when players are to be reviewed maybe you could have a situation where an observer in New york said wait a minute that we can't have that and they uh, signal it rather than have the coaches do it again uh people complain about you know uh the the, uh, the length of games they complain about the stoppages of play i think that's what keeps them from doing it
5: well, I would have gladly extended the game an extra ten minutes last night to get those calls right. Well, and that's
1: easy I, for you to say. You weren't on the air. <laughs> you weren't on the air till two a.m. <laughs> well,
5: well, I give you, I give you, I give you credit for that. And, but uh, just one uh, added thing, and I wanted to give an example. Say you give a coach one challenge or two challenges a game to, ch- to, to challenge penalties. They're only going to challenge him on plays that are impactful or consequential that can change a game, and on. The uh, false start for the Chargers last night—that's a—that's a play that a coach could have challenged uh, a, a, a missed penalty on the block in the back on the punt return. That is a play that a challenge for a penalty could have been called on. Those are impactful plays. Impactful plays. The the offsides on the blocked field goal last night at the end of the game. That's a play that. You know, that's a consequential play where a missed penalty challenge could be called. So, again, it's just a suggestion. I didn't know if the league ever tinkered with anything like that before. But if you enable a coach to challenge a impact or consequential penalty that was called or not called, I think it would uh, put things on a level playing field and I think would be good
1: for the game. I I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I mean, I like the suggestion a lot. Um, and either that or the coach's challenge. Maybe you'd say it's got to be on a scoring play um, because, you know, certainly there can be plays in the middle of a game that could be considered impactful, a first down, you know, those kinds of things. But maybe if you really want to restrict it, it's the scoring plays. And of course, in, in those particular cases, the false start uh, penalty, the block in the back on the punt return, if it results in a score, then maybe you, you could do that. I will say this, and I thank you, Scott. I think it's a good idea. I like it. Uh, I, thank I, you. I'm i not at all uh, anti-replay. I like replay. I mean, I don't know I like it, but I think it's necessary. I think it's important uh, to have it. I will say this. I mean, it's pretty clear to me also. On the false start, Mike Hilton relaxed. I mean, I do think that Mike Hilton relaxed. Because he thought the play, they're going to throw a flag and blow the whistle. False start, you know, right? Whistle blows immediately. It's dead. No matter what happens afterward, it's a dead play. But by the same token, you can't do that. I understand it's human nature, but you can't do that. You play until they do blow the whistle and stop it. So, yeah, that's on the officiating. I, I don't disagree with Scott's. How you do it, I don't know. But um, that could have decided a game, although that made it 13-7. The Steelers still had a 23-7 lead. Why were the Chargers so successful getting the ball to Keenan Allen? What did the Steelers not do? What didn't they change? Tunch joins me next. Saverin on Sports, ESPN Pittsburgh.
0: The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. is Allen, he's,
2: just, he's grabbing everything. I undercut the
3: slant. Um, I felt I saw him throw the ball, I caught it, and then I went to go tuck it and I, and I got smacked and I lost the, lost the ball.
1: Keenan Allen had a big night to say the least 14 catches, 148 touchdown, although that was very fortuitous uh, on his part. Joe in Greensburg emails and says, inept in-game coaching. Wiz completely out-coached Butler in the second half. Special teams coach Smith is a failure. Pathetic linebackers, horrible secondary, sputtering offense, and disgraceful officiating. Bottom line, this is no way to win a Super Bowl, to say the very least, or a ball game. Tunch Ilkin joins us now. Tunch uh, had a bird's-eye view. Tunch is brought to us by Calusi Chevrolet. So many things stand out to me, Tunch. The first I wanted to ask you, though, is in the first half, the Chargers ran the ball nine times for a net gain of only two yards. In the second half, they ran 13 times for 83 yards. Anthony right. Lynn said after the game, we weren't running well. We had to make some adjustments. What did they do?
0: You know, they just came off the ball better I mean, they didn't really make any adjustments. They ran the same plays. You know, when when you watch uh, uh, Ken, uh, Ken Wisenhunt's offense, you know they ran a lot of the stuff that we used to do. That that, that Chuck, they you know they'll run uh, uh, the short trap, the thirty-two trap. Uh, they run the toss uh, twenty-eight hook where they pull the tackle. They they run the ride thirty-eight where they pull the onside guard. They ran even a fifteen G. Where the guard where the ta- uh, tackle blocks down on the defensive uh, tackle and the guard pulls around up on the linebacker so
3: um
0: you know they just did they do did what they uh do when when he said make an adjustment, I think what he said was hey, we, the, the, the uh, Ride 38 worked, let's go back to it, because that's what uh, the adjustment is at a halftime. It's not like, let's block this differently. Uh, let's stick with what works and here are the list of plays that work. So uh, I think they just went back with it more. And I think the other thing is, um, I think Justin Jackson uh, was a better fit for the Chargers against the Steelers than uh, Austin Eckler was uh, for whatever reason, because it, it seemed to me that Justin Jackson did a lot better cutting back finding the crease uh, to the backside. He, he cut a bunch of those runs that were going onside to the backside, and, uh, and the Steelers uh, just didn't do a good job of plugging the gaps. And then sometimes um, when you're losing, Stan, and you're in a situation of desperation, I'm not saying that this is what the guys did, because I'm going to have to go watch the film. I, I had not been able to watch the film today. But uh, sometimes you start trying to make a play and ignoring your responsibility on the defense, and and maybe not, I don't want to say not trusting the guy next to you, but you got to trust the guy next to you. And sometimes you start over-pursuing or... Uh, getting caught out of position, and, uh, you know, that does happen uh, when guys are trying to make plays.
1: Yeah, we saw that a lot last year, the Bears game, if you remember, guys out of position, those kinds of things. There's been a lot of conversation, Tones, we certainly did on the uh, post-game show last night, um, about linebackers on a guy like Keenan Allen, who's a terrific receiver. He made some great catches um, somebody asked me why they didn't put Hayden on him. I noticed they flip flopped Hayden in the second half. But h- how does that matchup occur when L.J. Ford, who's a good, who's good against the pass, cannot be expected to keep up with a wideout like Keenan Allen?
0: So, Stan, the one thing that uh, once again, having not watched the film, uh, you know, they played. A, you know, the Steelers have been playing man, a lot of man coverage uh, the last four games. I, you know, it appeared to me, and having not watched the film, I don't want to make a blank statement, it appeared to me that we playing a lot more zone. And so if you are the, you know, if you're playing cover three with four under or you're playing cover two with your linebackers in your drop zone, well, on the shallow cross, uh, that's, you know, that's where uh, you're going to be, the linebacker's going to be matched up with someone like Keenan Allen. And the Chargers love shallow crosses, and you know guys like Keenan Allen. Um, you know when you run a shallow cross, uh, the, the the receivers that's running under, underneath, if it's man, he's going to keep running. If it's zone, he's going to stop in the hole or in the window. I don't know whether if they actually had uh, the linebackers on Keenan Allen man in man coverage. I I, I don't. I, I wouldn't think that, but maybe they got caught, you know, he's he's in my zone, I'm going to go cover him. So is the, the underneath coverage, which is usually uh, the linebackers.
1: Should they be doing, in that particular instance, um, even if they're playing zone, get a chuck at the line of scrimmage to throw the timing of that pattern off?
0: Well, yeah, or when you run through the zone. You know, I, I think one of the things that they did very well in the uh, – um, uh, in the first half is they kept running that fire zone whenever he went to empty they'd bring either uh bostic or they'd bring and it was a great it was a great game plan to when they go empty uh when they they went empty to bring one of the linebackers and have them uh, uh <coughs> excuse me shoot the gap then when he was under center, they they'd run some of the fire, some of the fire X, where they bring both linebackers. So I thought they did a good job, and they played zone behind it because when you're you know you're running the fire X, you know you're you're blitzing and you you you're outnumbered, so you play more zone behind it. That's why, hence the 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 name fire zone. So. Um, but I gotta, I gotta see what you know. I gotta take a take a look at that. I, I obviously, because it was a late night, I didn't get in early this morning um, to uh, to watch the film. But I'm going to watch it after you and I are done uh, talking.
1: You know, it's something that Charlie pointed out last night. You know, this defense designed to get pass rush from the outside linebackers. Uh, last night, the uh, the sacks were from a safety, Edmonds, uh, and also from Hargrave. The Quarter, the outside linebackers, linebackers in general, um, had a grand total of two quarterback hits. Um, that's not enough, is it?
0: No, no, it, it's not. You need, you need to get more production out of your outside guys. You know, uh, T.J. Watt and, and Bud, uh, they need to get more pressure on the quarterback, and um, especially because you're getting a nice push from the inside or whether it's Stefan or Javon or Cam, uh, or you know Vince uh, uh, does a nice job. But having said all that, you know Philip Rivers took a bunch of shots last night, and he got up and he made you know he made throws falling backwards, guys in his face. They did do a good job of collapsing the pocket, but they just didn't get enough sacks. And that that's something that you you, you need to, to get, especially from your edge rushers. You know, we always talk about this that um, from your outside in a three four line in a three four scheme, you got to you, you want to get at least uh, uh, you know twenty sacks out of your two outside guys. I mean, or even of a four three screen, you want you want your edge rushers to put that kind of numbers up, and and. Uh, Steelers have to have to be able to get it uh, the rest of the way in. Yeah, they got to they've got to reload from this loss and uh, and and not let it happen again.
1: Well, that's two losses in a row. And truth be told, and being frank, it could have been three. And um, they right. were fortunate to get out of right. Jacksonville. And uh, uh, like Mike Tomlin says, the arrow is definitely not pointed up. In fact, it's pointed in the opposite direction. Tunch, thanks as always for the visit. Don't forget to listen to Tunch and Wolf each weekday morning right here on ESPN Pittsburgh from 10 until noon. Thank you, Tunch. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Dan. Have a great day, buddy.
1: All right. Take care. Tunch brought to us by Calusi Chevrolet.